Uh, well, we are in a series in this, this January, and now we'll leak a little bit into February, but, uh, but it's how to have the worst year ever. And, uh, and maybe, maybe you're knocking it out of the park so far. Maybe, maybe you are really uh, learning some things and figuring out how to really ruin your year. Uh, but, but really, the idea is that by looking at how we can have the worst year ever, it also can give us some insight into how to live the best life yet. And so, several weeks ago when we started this conversation, we began talking about the first way to really ruin your year, and to have the worst year ever, is to be a what? A complainer. Oh, man. To be a complainer. If you really want to ruin your year, just be a complainer. I mean, think that everybody's against you. Complain about your boss. Complain about your coworkers. Uh, complain about how, the, how, how when you go home today, they plowed your driveway in. I mean, complain about everything. I promise you, you just keep complaining. It's just going to ruin everything. And, and if, you, if you really, really want to ruin things, just complain about, complain about everybody in your family. Complain about how your wife does this wrong or how your husband does this wrong Complain about how your kids just can't live up to it, and just complain about everything. And you can you can poison your well if you know what I'm saying. Okay, you can poison your well, and you drink from your own well, and eventually your complaining will end up ruining your life. And uh, but but here's what we learned: what we learned that complaining complaining is a sin. It's a sin. We looked at the Israelites and how they were in hardship, and hardship didn't surprise God. But when they complained about their hardship. It annoyed the Lord. And, and so we went through this whole story of, of, of the Israelites and how they would continue to complain about their circumstances as though God's not in control. And hey, listen, if you've got, sometimes people have some really good material. They got really good real life content that they could complain about. And we would all say that's probably worth complaining about. But at the end of the day, is God still not in control? Is he still not sovereign? And God's up there going, hello, did you forget that I'm the God who parted the ocean for you to cross? That I provided fresh manna every day? Did you not forget the depths from which you have fallen? And when we remember just all the miracles of our lives, then we're like, I really have no room to complain whatsoever. And the reality is that there's always somebody happier than you with less than you have. And that's important to remember. And if there's anything that being on world missions trips has taught me, it's that principle. I have met people that have eight family members living in one hut, and, they, and, you know, and, I'm, and I'm like, these people have the joy of the Lord. What is my problem? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? What is my problem? And we, so we don't understand how blessed we are. But if you really want to just screw it all up, just complain. Be a complainer. The second thing we said was, if you want to have the worst year ever, then to be selfish. The, the lie of our day is that everything is about you, isn't it? 
Everything is sold to you to make your life better, your life easier. And, 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 and many, many corporations have gotten so good at, at really incredible hospitality and customer service. So now we all live with this expectation that we must be served everywhere we go. And if it's not right, I'm not coming back, you know. And, and we all appreciate those great touches of, 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 pers- uh, of hospitality and uh, the personal touch of of just care and service. But it is a lie to think that this world is all about you. So if you want to ruin your year, if you want to have the worst year ever, just think that it's all about you. Here's the problem, is wherever there is selfishness, there is somebody else suffering in that relationship. When someone else thinks it's all about them, then someone else is quietly suffering. We have too many suffering people, too many selfish people. The reality is we must have a mutual honor towards one another and to be selfless. We looked at the parable of the Good Samaritan last week and we talked about selfishness, that we don't cross in the other side of the road when there's the hurting and broken. We don't look out for our own conveniences, our own comfort, but we live a life of generosity. We live a life of compassion, and sometimes compassion can be inconvenient, but if you want to be selfish, you can ruin your. Did you know that many clinical psychologists say that if you want a cure for depression, do something for somebody else without expecting anything in return for 30 days, and you'll, just, and you'll cure yourself with depression? That is not all cases, of course. It's not a blanket statement, but many clinical psychologists will tell you if you stop living for yourself, then there's a lot of things in you that just begin to like find hope, find purpose, because there is a hope and a purpose beyond yourself, which is, which is why I believe being a follower of Christ gives people so much cause in their life, because the reality is, is that everybody is looking for a cause to die for. I mean, you see it in our world today. We have many young people that cling to all kinds of of agendas and ideologies of our world, and they're like willing to die for it. Like they're willing to die that you don't eat animals anymore. (laughs) They're willing to die for the fact that you know, you know, you you name it. There's all kinds of agendas out there that that they will they will march Washington Washington D.C. for their cause. They will put their lives at stake for their cause because deep down inside, everybody wants. To, to have something to live for that's worth dying for. But a faith in Jesus, I believe, is the only thing that can fulfill that desire in us. And it's because when you have something to live for beyond yourself that has eternal impact, it gives you a cause. Or in other words, it puts a hope inside of you. It's beyond yourself, but you only live for yourself. If you're only looking out for number one, it ultimately is unfulfilling. So if you want to have the worst year ever, man, just live for yourself. Just be selfish. Today, I want to drop another way that we can have the worst year ever. The third way that you can have the worst year ever is just to be afraid. Be very afraid. Live in fear. Live completely in fear. You know, there's there's all of these, uh, you know, this... uh, the suffix phobia get, likes to get used a lot. It has to do with types of fears. Let me give you a couple phobias that I just think are, are odd and, and kind of funny. This first one, I can't even pronounce if I tried. Um, 
something, I don't know. I'll just tell you what it is. It's the fear of peanut butter sticking to the roof of your mouth. Come on, who's got that? (laughs) Who's got that? Come on. (laughs) Over the last 21 days of prayer and fasting, which conclude the day, amen? I should have had donuts here for everybody. (laughs) But uh, 21 days of prayer and fasting has come to a close, and and throughout that time, uh, Jenny and I, uh, we did a little something different this year. We did... A, a, an eating plan called Whole30, uh, where there's a lot of things that we couldn't eat, and we couldn't eat lagoons. I, I didn't know what lagoons were. I didn't know you could eat a lagoon. <laughs> and, uh, but, but it included peanuts, so you couldn't, we, I couldn't eat peanut butter, but I could have almond butter. Let me tell you, almond butter will stick to the roof of your mouth. <laughs> I mean, you eat like a little dab, and you're like, I'm dying, right? I, I understand this phobia now. I really do. This aura, well, you'll have to Google it. I don't know how to pronounce it. And, and the, the, here, here's a phobia for you. I, I was a youth pastor for many years, and so uh, this one is real. It is a nomophobia. Yeah. It's the fear of being without your mobile phone. <laughs> yeah. Someone just held their fo- just checked their pocket. Here's one. Arithmophobia. Parents, you know what this one is. Fear of numbers. Yeah, your kids might have this with their mathematics homework. They avoid it like the plague. Here's one. Uh, uh, I hope I pronounce this right. Xanthobia. Uh, This is fear of the color yellow. Someone didn't grow up reading uh, Curious George. What was that guy's name? Mr. Uh, Man with the yellow hat. Literally. Uh, okay, here, here's another one. Again, uh, I was a youth pastor for many years. I've had students that have this phobia. I don't know it, but I'm pretty sure. It is a, blue, a blutophobia. I think I'm pronouncing that right. But it's fear of bathing. <laughs> if you don't think that's real, just take middle schoolers to, to teen camp in the summertime. It just hits different. I'll just put it, to, it just, it's different. So we're, we're so, but today we're not just talking about phobias. We're really, we're really talking about a, a life driven by fear. And here's the thing about fear, is that fearful living always robs us of our faith. Because the two really contrast each other. Fearful living, it can tend to lead to a self-centeredness. Let me explain why. It's because out of that fearful living, It causes you to always look out for yourself and to trust nobody else. And ultimately, it becomes, it can lead to self-centeredness. Fearful living can lead to prioritizing comfort in life because you're too afraid to step out of the comfort zone. And so, 
fearful living that leads to a, a stagnant life because, you're, because that fear that leaving the comfort zone, there's danger outside the comfort zone, then, then you never actually grow. And this type of fearful living leads to people never really coming to maturity in their character or becoming into maturity in their emotions and so they live a life very driven by emotions because they've never allowed their, themselves to, uh, to experience beyond their comfort zone, which helps grow our maturity, helps grow us in our thinking, helps grow our emotions. And so fearful living prioritizes comfort. Um, I, I, I personally have had a couple seasons of my life where, where I, too, was really driven by fear. One time it was when I was a child in my adolescence, and I've told this story many times. Another time was during a season of ministry that I was in. When I was a child, around the third and fourth grade, I, 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 began, I became overwhelmed with, a, with, a, with an anxiety. I, I mean, anxiety really, I don't think, was a word we used much back then. I certainly didn't think uh, of it as anxiety. I just knew that I was terrified. I, I was terrified of going to school. I was terrified of getting on the bus. I, I, I don't know what, over, like, what made that come over me other than I had a teacher at school that just absolutely scared me. Uh, she was harsh. I was in third grade, and I was taller than her. I mean, she was a tiny little thing. Like, we called her a witch, and I don't think we were wrong, y'all. I really don't. I really think that she had a cauldron in the back or something. Um, funny story. Um, in that classroom, in the back of the classroom, there's a bunch of board games. Uh, have I ever told this story? I don't know if I have. There's a bunch of board games in the back of this classroom. And so one day we, were, we, we could, uh, had some free time or something in the third grade. And we go back to we're getting some board games out. And, and in the board games, I find a Ouija board. And the only reason I knew what one was was because my daddy told me, if you're ever at a friend's house and they have this thing called a Ouija board, he says, do not mess with it. And, uh, and, and, and so, so I, I was like, she is a witch. <laughs> my suspicions are true. And, uh, and so I went home and I was like, hey, mama, uh, a teacher She's a Ouija board in her classroom. And uh, if you knew my mom, I mean, like, talk about mama bear. My mom marched right into that school. <laughs> and uh, before he, and there, there was no more Ouija board in that classroom after that day. <laughs> but it began a cycle in me where I became very anxious, very, very afraid. And, and fourth grade didn't help. I had a teacher that was, that was a very angry personality. And, and I was just... I was just a, a child, and, uh, and, and this particular, my fourth grade teacher, there was a time once that he got so upset that uh, the fourth graders, that my class, we weren't holding the door open for each other when we were going down the hallway, because as the door was closing, you know, we'd all try to scoot through and not be the last one to touch it. Well, he got so upset about who was uh, that did such and such that he had a stool he sat on in the front of the classroom that he picked the stool up and he smashed the stool on the ground in front of the whole classroom. And I, I, you know, I never witnessed this kind of behavior in my home. And so it, it terrified me. And so I became 
that every single morning I'd go to school and I would just cry and cry and cry and he'd throw me out in the hallway until I could get myself back together. And I had no idea why I was crying, but I was really overcome with anxiety. I know I've told this story before, but, but, but my parents were so worried about me that my mom woke up in the middle of the night and she had this thought that, that somebody was abusing me or, 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 or taking advantage of me in some way and, and I was too afraid to say and she woke me up in the middle of the night and was asking me, is any adult doing this? Is any adult? And I'm like, what? You know, and I know, and and, and then finally, my dad, my, my dad did something for me that has stuck with me my entire life. My dad taught me to stand on the Word of God. And, uh, hmm, whew, okay, didn't, okay. And, uh, I, 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 man, I know I've told this story before, but he, he got a little pocket, little pocket New Testament. And he turned to the book of Matthew, and he says, look right here, Devin. Jesus says, do not worry about your life. Look at the birds of the air. They don't store, they don't reap, they don't work for it, but your Heavenly Father feeds them. And so, who by worrying adds a single minute to their life? And he, and he underlined that in a little pocketbook. He put it in my back pocket, and he gave me one of those. He said, now go get them. And I, I carried that little pocketbook, New Testament, in my back pocket all of fourth grade. And in the mornings at school, when I could feel the anxiety, come, the fear coming over me. I'd pull that little Bible out and I'd open it up to that verse in Matthew and I'd read it. And I'd feel the hope and, and i feel my faith begin to overcome my fear. Fourth grade. <laughs> I, I think about a fourth grader now, I'm like, dang. I put that, I carried that New Testament in my back pocket all of fourth grade, all of fifth grade, all of sixth grade, all of 7th grade, and all of 8th grade. All throughout middle school, I had that New Testament in my back pocket. I was known for this. And, and I also had a little rock. I went to a winter retreat with my youth group. And in one of the messages that night was about being bold for Jesus. And we were at a, a, like a, like a retreat center off the shore of Lake Erie. And I went out to the shore and I found this smooth stone rock and I took a Sharpie marker, and I wrote on it, Be Bold for Jesus. I carried that little rock in my right front pocket all of middle school as a reminder to have faith and not to live by fear. And, and, and what I've come to know is, is that there are certain things that can make us afraid. The first thing that can make us live by fear is when we feel powerless in our situation. And when we feel powerless, it's like we don't have any control over the situation. Somebody else has control over us. And so things that make us afraid is when we feel powerless. A sec another thing that makes us feel afraid is when we're outnumbered and alone. Uh, to illustrate this, this point one time when I was a youth pastor, I, I brought up this, this, this tiny little middle schooler girl in a game of dodgeball. And I put her on one side all by herself. And I got all the high school guys. I put them all on the other side. And I was like, you ready? And this shy little girl was like, is this happening? I said, all right, get out the balls. And I gave all the balls to the high school guys. And I gave her one. And I asked, is this a fair fight? And I'll ask the girl, how do you feel? And she says, I've, I'm, I'm mortified. I'm, I'm terribly afraid. 
Of course, the game, we didn't make, we didn't make her do this. But it was to illustrate that we can become so afraid when we feel like we have to fight on our own. And let me tell you, church, this is why being united together in a church is so essential that you don't have to be alone in the battle. And even when you are alone, to have the faith to stand on the Word of God and know that someone else has your back. So things that make us afraid is when we feel powerless, when we feel outnumbered and alone, and when we are exposed and unprotected. When we feel unprotected, we feel vulnerable, it causes fear in our lives. Today I'm going to look at a, we're going to look at a, a familiar story in Scripture. I want, to, I, want you, uh, I want it to help us see the difference between living with fear and really having a faith to overcome. In the book of Judges, the book of Judges, there's this pattern throughout the entire book of Judges. And the pattern is that the people of God live for God, and then they worship idols. And then they live for God, and then they worship idols. And then they live for God, and then they worship idols. When they would be in a place of darkness and worshiping idols they would always really fall to their enemies. And then they would get to a place of great desperation that they would finally cry out to God, and God would kind of rise up a prophet called a judge who would then be the voice to the people and, and kind of like call them to repent, and then they'd all turn back to God, and they'd tear down their idols, and then, and then they would have a season of peace. And then... They backslide and, and go back to the ways of the world. This is the, this is the pattern throughout the book of Judges. Really, it's an illustration of the pattern of us, of how we can climb up and down the mountain with our relationship with God and backslide to the world and live for God, and, and then we're back. And, but at one point, the Israelites had been worshiping the idols of the world, and their enemy, the Midianites, had really taken them over. And the, one of the tactics that the Midianites would take would be to cut them off from their resources. So the, so the Israelites, they would, in, in the time of sowing, they would go and pl- plant all their fields so that they could eat the next year. Well, once they would do that, the Midianites would go and camp on their fields and trample all of their crops. Oh, and all their cattle and sheep, yeah, they take care of all that too. And it got to the point where the Israelites were about to starve to death. They, they, were, they were cut off from resources because they were oppressed by the Minions. And, and so, so God, he, he sends a prophet into the people, calling them to repent because They've been worshiping Baal. They were building poles and, 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 and not living a godly way. And so they cry out to God. God hears their cry. And then God goes to a man named Gideon. And this is what it says in Judges 6 2. It says, because of, the power of Midian, because of the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Because oppression on them felt so severe, 
it causes them to really just have one response. Hide. Hide. Go hide in dark places. And this is what a life driven by fear will cause you to do. Is that when you feel oppressed, when you feel powerless against that oppression, you just tuck yourself in, close yourself up. I'm not going out there. I'm not going in, not going out. Staying right here because if, as, if they can't find me, they can't hurt me. I, I, I'm not going to find relationship again. I'm not going to try friendship again because the last time I tried, it hurt me. They can't hurt me if I don't try. I'm not going to do the church thing again because there was a one time at this one place there was a person in a church and they hurt me. So I'm just going to I'm just going to tuck myself into the cleft of this mountain. I'm going to hide out because if they can't get me, they can't hurt me. I'm not. I'm just going to go for comfort. I'm going to just go for safety. And people end up hiding in mountain clefts and caves and strongholds for years of their lives. Only, only to be overtaken by the darkness of those places where, where the fear only multiplies, the darkness only grows deeper within. Well, then God calls a man named Gideon, and in, in the 12th verse, it says, uh, uh, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. He addressed Gideon, he said, by calling him a mighty warrior. Gideon's response is so interesting. He's like, time, time out. Hold up. Wait a minute. Excuse me? Pardon me. Hold, hold, hold the presses. But if the Lord was with us, then why has all of this happened to us, huh? We have been getting slaughtered. My people are starving. And the prophet just came into town, and the prophet said, remember the Lord who delivered you out of Egypt. Remember the Lord who split the ocean. Remember the Lord, remember the Lord. I've heard their stories, but I've not seen it with my own eyes. Lord, excuse me for not whatever. Where have you been? Next verse. Where are the wonders that our ancestors told us about? Did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us to the hand of Midian. Understandably, Gideon is feeling some feelings here. He's like, now you show up? We've been struggling here. So the Lord turned to him and he said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. And I love this. Am I not sending you? Am I not sending you? I want you to remember that. We'll come back to that in a second. Gideon responds again. <laughs> Pardon me. I just want to elaborate here, Lord. Uh, but how can I save Israel? Because my clan 
It's the weakest. And me, I'm the least of my family. I'm just a little squirt here. And the Lord answered, but I will be with you. I will be with you. And you will strike down the Midians. Hmm. So Gideon gets himself together. After a series of saying, God, if this is really you, prove it to me. And God did prove it to him. Actually, what Gideon did was he said, okay, whoa, 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 whoa. God, if this is really you, stay right here. Don't you go anywhere, which I think is funny. He says, let me offer a sacrifice to you. Let me bring you an offering. And the Lord says, I'll wait. And if this doesn't show the patience of God, Gideon goes and cooks an entire meal first. <laughs> he, he slaughters a goat, prepares the meat, he bakes bread. That takes a while. He comes back to the Lord. The Lord says, put the meat on that rock. Puts the meat on the rock. Then the rock consumes the meat in a flame. Rocks don't burn. Consumes the meat. And then Gideon says, this is the Lord. And sometimes God will show up in a way that will give you the faith to believe what he said. That I am with you. Am I not sending you? But I'm the weakest. I've never done this before. I've never had that job. I've never been a parent. I've, I've, I've never been in this situation before. And you're asking me to do it. He says, am I not asking you? If, I, if I'm sending you, it means something. But I'm weak, but I'm with you. Prove it. Okay. <laughs> and so Gideon goes and he gathers up an army to go face the Midians. I think some scholars believe the Midian army consisted of over 100,000 men. Gideon gathers up 32,000. They set out and they make camp. And the Lord, the Lord comes to Gideon again and he says, Oh, hey, my man. 32,000 men, too many. Uh, help me understand this logic, Lord. Uh, pardon me, right? He says it's too many. And he says, let me tell you why this is too many men. Because if, if Israel finds victory with their 32,000 men, they'll think they did it by their own power. And I know how these jokers work. He says, so what I want you to do is I want you to ask, to tell your, tell your whole army, if you are afraid, go home, no, no harm. No, absolutely no foul. If you're, just, if you're afraid, just go home. 22,000 men leave. I, which I also think that it goes to show that fear just doesn't produce results. So 22,000 men leave. He has 10,000 men in his army left. And God says, hey, Gideon, too many. Too many men. Can you imagine? <laughs> He's like, I'm the least of my family. I'm the squirt. And uh, 
But it's almost as if Gideon didn't, Gideon didn't question it. Because God said, am I not sending you? Am I, and I will be with you. And he proved it. And so God says, okay, take him down to the stream for a drink. And anyone that bends down on their knees to drink water, send home. Those that lap the water up like a dog with their tongue, stay. Which, I'm, at least, I got questions. <laughs> I have questions. I'll save them for when I see the Lord face to face. I actually, I used to believe that, that all of this stuff would be on DVD when we get to heaven, but I now know that DVDs are like expired and, and it's going to be on some kind of like cloud-based video thing, like a God tube or something. Uh, but when I get to heaven, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to log into God tube. I want to watch this. I want to see these guys lap it up like dogs. It would be absolutely hilarious. We'll make memes out of it. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. And so out of 10,000 men, only 300 lap it up like a dog. I think he's lucky to get that number, honestly. 300 men. And God says, that'll do. That'll do. So they make camp. And, but now I think Gideon's getting nervous. He's getting nervous. He was eavesdropping on some of his men that were talking. I can imagine sometimes as a leader, you wonder, what are my people thinking? He's eavesdropping on some men, and, and, and one guy said, hey, I had a dream. And he tells this dream of this barley loaf rolling down a hill and it, and it, and it, and it crushing what was at the bottom. And he says, and, I, and I, I believe the Lord is telling us that God is giving the Midians to Gideon. And Gideon's like, yes, this is confirmation. So then Gideon says, get up, let's go, it's time, it's time to rock. And, and so he gives every man a trumpet, a pot, and a torch. And they put the torch in the pot, and they take their trumpets, and Gideon splits up the 300 men into three groups, 100 apiece. And he says, he tells the other two groups, do what we do. And they go, they make camp, they around the Midian army that were all, they're all set to attack them soon. And it's the middle of the night, they got torches in the pots, and on his mark, get set, go, they break the pots, so now their torches are shining bright, and they blow their trumpets, and they yell, the sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And when they do that, the sound of these 300 trumpets uh, around the camp caused such a chaos in the middle of the night. Imagine, parents, that chaotic moment when you have a child wake you up in the middle of the night. Uh, and it's like, what was happening? You've got this screaming child running your room, whatever. Uh, it's chaotic. 300 trumpets blasting. Uh, the, the, the Midian army goes bananas. They're going crazy. So they, so they all reach for their sword thinking that they're under attack, and because it's dark and they can't see, they turn on each other. And, and ultimately, the Midian army defeated the Midian army. I mean, this is awesome. 300 men. And, and, th- and thus, Judges 8.28, a couple chapters, I- I'm summarizing this whole story because it's three chapters long, you're welcome. Thus, Midian was subdued before the Israelites and did not raise its head again. During Gideon's lifetime, the land had peace for 40 years. For 40 years. And that is what a life of faith and courage 
and being brave can do. It will defeat armies. It will defeat the oppression in your life. Fear drives you to just live in a mountain cleft, to find a cave and hide out, but live under impression forever. But coming out from that fear, having the faith to believe that God is on your side and in his power you can overcome oppression and Gideon and his 300 men did just that. So the first thing I want to say is that we feel brave when we are powerful. And I want you to know that if you are a follower of Jesus, you are powerful. That he has given you his authority and we can use his authority when we speak, when we pray, when we live our lives, because the word of the Lord to Gideon and to you is, am I not sending you? And when the king of all creation sends you, it's as though he's sending you, carrying the name of his authority. It's like when I was a kid, I had three brothers, it's like when I got to run into the room and tell my brothers what to do, because dad said so. That meant something different in my house. That it, meant, it didn't just mean Devin's telling us what to do. It meant Devin's telling us what to do with the authority that dad is telling us exactly what to do. And you can look at the oppression in your life and say, my dad said so. Darkness, you must flee because my dad said so. Fear, you must leave, because daddy said so. I am powerful. I am first and not last. I, I am more than a conqueror. I am victorious because of the cross of Christ. When you see me, devil, you don't see me anymore. You see God in me, and he defeated you. You were just a little punk in this scheme, but you, he has crushed you under his heel. Let me remind you, you are you are gone, and I'm victorious. Man, you begin praying like that, you begin to feel a little, whoa, hey, what's up? I'm feeling brave, I'm feeling powerful. But it's, not a pow it's not a prideful powerful. It, it, it is a, a God-given authority to declare us in our lives. My dad said so. Another verse my dad underlined in my Bible is 2 Timothy 1.7. It says this, it says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. And I would believe that. And, I, and listen, if you're struggling today and you're like, I'm not going to live 2022 in fear. This is for you. God didn't give you a spirit of fear. He didn't do that. He gave you power, love, and a right mind. Come on. The second thing is I know that we feel brave when we have backup. Like, you're not just messing with me, bud. You're messing with all of them. So come on. Bring the noise. Well, you have backup. God told Gideon, I will be with you. You won't be alone in this. Joshua 1.5 says, 
no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never, say it with me, church, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You've got some serious backup. And when you know who's got your back, you feel a little better about yourself. I don't know, maybe this is why, (laughs) I was going to make a bad joke, I'm not going to. (laughs) But when you have backup, man, you have, you can be brave. And even if you have to walk into a situation all alone, you're not alone. God said, I'll be with you. I remember when I worked in the corporate world, I was always the youngest at whatever level I was at. And I was, I'd always be so timid when I was going to a new place. Or, or I remember I was always so timid the, the, first, the first time I had to travel and I'd get on a plane and go somewhere and like arrive there and, and like and, and, and into a work environment, the place. I mean, like every, all this new stuff. I was always having to do new things, meet new people. And I was always, I, deep down inside, I always had this timidness. But I, I, would, I would always walk into my workplace and say, God, I pray that you help me do this job to the best of my ability and beyond by the power of your Holy Spirit. God told Gideon, go in the strength you have. Am I not sending you? I'm like, okay, God, help me to do this to the best of my ability and beyond by the power of your Holy Spirit. In other words, I walk into situations knowing I'm not alone. I may not have a team on my back, but i got God the Father on my back. He's got me, and he goes before me. He is with me. He goes after me. He says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. The third thing is this. Be brave. We feel brave when we are protected. When we're protected. Because we feel afraid when we feel exposed. But sure of ourselves when we feel protected. I, I, I've only gone paintballing one time in my entire life. And uh, if you've ever gone, then, then you know, like, basically, paintballing is, everybody gets these CO2 air-compressed guns that shoot these bubblegum size, like, uh, like gumdrop-sized paintballs, and you shoot each other. Um, and, you know, and then when, if you get hit by it, it, it bursts and you get a little splotch of paint. And that sounds cute. It's violent. I mean, it'll, it'll leave bruises and marks all over your body. And uh, the one time, I, the only time I've ever gone paintballing, it was the morning of my wedding. The morning of my wedding, I went paintballing with uh, a bunch of dudes and like this was like this was like the bachelor party, I guess. You know, we went paintballing that morning. I was getting married that night, and uh, and obviously, you know, Jenny was very like apprehensive about this, and uh, and I'm like, oh, I'll be fine. You wear a face mask. And she's like, no, things happen, you know. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. So we show up, and <laughs> this is not in my notes. You're gonna you're gonna find out why. Uh, well, show up, and my oldest brother says, Whoa, well, time out, everybody, time out. Before we get started with uh, all of the paintball games, he reaches down and he says, Devin has to wear this. 
and he holds up this giant-sized jockstrap that I had to wear on the outside of my outfit that day. He says, because he has a very important day today. And, but you can feel brave when you are protected. Uh, it's not in my notes. But this is what Psalm 18.2 says. I love this. Psalm 18.2 says, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge. My shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. You see, before, there was a different rock that was that you run and hide in in fear. It was the dark, a rock, the, the cleft of the mountain, this stronghold. But, but, God's, but, but the psalmist says, no, no, no. My rock is in the Lord. It is the source of my strength. It is the protection I need to have faith, to overcome the fear in our lives. So if you get anything this morning, I want you to get this, is that God gives us strength. God has our back. God is our protection, and you can move forward in 2022 this year and not be driven by fear, but if you really want to have the worst year ever, man, hide in the cleft of the mountain and live in fear. Close yourself in. Stay in your comfort zone. Don't grow. Stay stagnant, but if you want to overcome, understand that he gives us strength, he's got our back, and he's our protection. Come on, somebody. Would you all stand with me today? We're, we're going to... Sing one last song, then I'm going to end with one more scripture reading. But God, we just come to you right now. Lord, I just pray for everybody in this room that we just take the next couple moments to go, right now, God. Will, will you help us see any area of our lives where we are being driven by fear? And God, may you give us, Lord, the courage today rooted in your word that, that God's word to you today, church, is am I not sending you? Then I will be with you. I will be with you. God, may we leave today with our faith increasing in Jesus' name. Hey, New Life Church, thank you so much for joining us today. If this is your first time joining us and you'd like to learn a little bit more about New Life Church, you can text the word CONNECT to the number 765-347-9127. Again, thank you so much for joining us, and we hope to see you guys next time.